Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range, or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello and welcome. If you didn't catch last week's episode with Mark Lukacs, the best-selling author of My Lovely Wife in a Psych Ward, I highly recommend it. It was episode 33. He wrote that book that I couldn't put down, and we explore so much more about Mark and his own struggles in our interview together, things that aren't really in the book, and I just think everybody should be listening to that episode if you can, because Mark has so much wisdom that needs to be shared. I have linked that episode in the show notes for you, but you can also find past episodes of the podcast on my website, aboutprogress.com. Just click on the tab podcast at the top. And I'll pull up pictures of past episodes for you to click on and peruse. And the show notes are always there as well. So today is our casual podcast that we do once a month on a theme, usually something I have been thinking about a lot. Uh, Today's theme is sometimes you don't make the cut. And it, it has to do with failure. It has to do with what what happens when we face failure big and small in our lives and the disappointment that can come rejection and you know just there's so many different things that come from those times where we just don't quite make the cut so i think we have this fear of failure obviously and it, and it inhibits our choice 
to try new things or to keep trying after we fail. But we miss, but what we miss is something very important that all of us don't make the cut. And often, even the most famous, influential, powerful, successful people in the world have failed over and over and over again. Failure has been on my mind a lot lately um, because I think we need to talk about what is good about failure. What can it teach us and how can it motivate us to improve or to keep going or to change? I think we need to redefine failure because it, it, it actually is a great tool. It's a great opportunity and it's life. It happens to all of us. So what I thought we would do is first talk about some well-known names, people who have failed, who have not made the cut. And, and you know, these are people who are, by, by the uh, intents of the world, are very successful. So I, I got this list from two articles that I pulled up on Google. So I'll link those two articles in the show notes for you. So let's, let's start with some of those examples. The first one is Oprah who I love. I love Oprah so much. Uh, she was actually fired from her first TV job as an anchor woman in Baltimore. She was told that she was connecting too emotionally to her stories. Uh, later on, her network own barely made it for years. It was criticized. The numbers were um, failing. She she almost pulled the plug several times, but now it's doing well. Um, she has failed diets. She has struggled with her self-worth. She's faced a lot of failure and, and also lots of childhood failures in her life that are really traumatizing, could have defined her entire life. Steven Spielberg, he was rejected twice by the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts. Oops, <laughs> right? Uh, Thomas Edison. Uh, that's a popular one. We all we all know about him. He holds more than 1,000 patents, but was told by his teachers that he was, quote, too stupid to learn anything, unquote. Walt Disney, he was fired uh, as a, a reporter. His newspaper editor told him that he, quote, lacked imagination and had no good ideas, unquote. Albert Einstein, he didn't speak until he was four years old, didn't read until he was seven, and he was thought to be mentally handicapped. J.K. Rowling, who is my favorite author, I know I'm an English major, an English teacher, but Harry Potter will always be my very favorite and J.K. Rowling, in part because of the huge story behind it as well. She was uh, broke, depressed, a divorced single mother when she, when she wrote her first book, Harry Potter, the first book in the series, and we all know how that turned out. But a lot of failure went into that. Abraham Lincoln had multiple failed business attempts and failed runs at political office before he was even president. And when he was president, he was heavily criticized and, of course, assassinated. So Abraham Lincoln is a, is a special one for our family. My dad is really passionate about him. I've read a, a few biographies about him as well. The amount of failure that man faced in his life is pretty impressive. Dr. Seuss's first book was rejected by 27 different publishers. Uh, of course, he went on to sell more than 600 million copies worldwide. Stephen King is another favorite of mine. His novel Carrie was rejected 30 times. 
He dumped it into the trash at one point, but his wife picked it up, made him try again, and it was picked up, and he became a very huge success. One of the things I love to tell my students about Stephen King is that he said uh, something to the effect that there are no great writers, there are only great editors. And that essentially, every time you write a book, it's not so much what you write, it's how you edit and how you work over that book over and over and over again, which is basically an exercise in how to deal with constant failure as a writer and making up for your mistakes. Vincent van Gogh, he only sold one painting during his lifetime, and it was not long before his death that he sold that. Vera Wang, she's the famous fashion designer. She failed to make the 1968 U.S. Olympic figure skating team. She became an editor at Vogue, but was passed over for the editor-in-chief position, but now she is worth over a billion dollars. One of Fred Astaire's first screen tests, an executive wrote, quote, can't sing, can't act, slightly balding, can dance a little, unquote. I hope you know Fred Astaire. Lady Gaga, she was dropped by her first record label after three months, and upon receiving the news, she cried so hard she couldn't talk. So those are a few examples of, you know, people who are influential, famous, successful by all accounts. I think any person you ever hear an interview with where they are talking about their life or if you read a, bi a biography, that their story is riddled with failure. And think about your own life. Think about, you know, we don't all have to be famous and successful by the world's standards to have lived a really good, influential, powerful, meaningful life. And yet each one of us has a life riddled with mistakes, failures, weaknesses, times where we just simply don't make the cut, no matter how hard we try. If you're a parent like I am, you know, this happens like every five minutes. You don't make the cut. You make a mistake in how you're parenting. It, failure is something that we can either allow to rule our lives and our view of ourselves and what we are doing, or we can use it as an opportunity for so many things. Here's some things that failure can do. It can help us reprioritize. If you don't make the cut, that's a good time to think about if what you are doing is really worthwhile. If it's serving you, if it's serving your talents, your vision for what you want to, to do in your, in your life. Um, Oprah said, quote, there is no such thing as failure. Failure is just life trying to move us in another direction. So sometimes failure helps us move in that other direction. Sometimes it's about going a different path and and failure helps us do that. Reprioritize and figure out which direction we are supposed to go in. Failure can drive us to change what is wrong or weak about ourselves or I or our ideas. It can improve the work we are doing. It humbles us when we need to be humbled. It can motivate us. Sometimes having those times where we don't make the cut can actually be motivating and help us pick up and try harder and do better. Failure can also give us a time to rest. Sometimes we just need a break. Sometimes something we are trying so, so hard at, it's just time to take a step back, to have a break. Failure teaches us how to get back up and how to try again. Walt Disney talks about failure when you're young, how important it is. He says, you know, he talked about the more failures kids face when they are young, the less afraid they will be 
of failure as they grow and the more willing they will be to try and to imagine and to succeed. Failure shifts our definition of success. Sometimes, well, you know, failure needs to be redefined too, but Sometimes a failure is a success and sometimes a success is really a failure. If your success is making a million dollars, I don't think that's actually a success. It it can be in the world standards, but uh, Japan, for instance, I read the other day that it is the wealthiest country in the world, but also the most unhappy. So what is really success there? Sometimes failure can help us redefine what really is success. Um, Thomas Edison said, quote, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work, unquote. That's how he redefined failure. And I love how he redefined failure. So thinking about all those people that I talked about at the beginning of the episode, all those people, what they have in common besides that they failed and that they are also successful is that they were persistent. They didn't give up. I mean, I'm sure they did, but all things told, they didn't give up. Sometimes choosing a going to go a different direction isn't giving up. That's choosing a different path. So I want to be clear about that. Sometimes it is time to give up on a pursuit, but that doesn't mean you're giving up on you and giving up on your life and trying. And that's what these people did. They were persistent. Another example of this persistence is Sir James Dyson. He had 5,126 failed prototypes for over 15 years and loss of savings over and over again before he created his best-selling bagless vacuum cleaner, and that is now worth $4.5 billion. So he was persistent. My goodness, was he persistent. Winston Churchill was also another persistent man. He said on this persistence, quote, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm, unquote. And, you know, that doesn't mean he had a lot of sadness. Winston Churchill actually dealt a lot with depression, so I'm sure he dealt with that loss of enthusiasm. But what I think he's saying here is it's persistence. It's getting up. It's trying again. So failure can hurt. It feels like rejection. Working so hard on something to dismal at best results feels personal, it, it, it can harm the heart if we allow it to. But there are reasons to get back up. J.K. Rowling said, quote, It is impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. I have to read that one again. I just, I just love this one, and I think it's also kind of tricky with the wording, so let's read that one again. Quote, it is impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default, unquote. So that's why we need to get back up, guys. When we don't make the cut, we need to get back up because if we are so cautious about failure, we are still failing. The most successful people acknowledge that failure is just as important as their success. Michael Jordan, he said, quote, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed, unquote. 
So I see there Michael Jordan, you know, redefining what success and failure is to him. So some personal examples, there's some things I have nearly quit in my life, but because of persistence, it did pay off. Uh, this, uh, a big example for me was, uh, my flute. I, I play the flute. I was self-taught. I joined, I started in seventh grade. I missed band, the band lessons in the summer. So I, I started at the very bottom and I had to teach myself. I was on a, an old flute. That's pretty terrible. And, um, just worked with the book I had. I mean, I didn't even use the internet at that point. I wish I had had the the, the tools that the internet provides now to just show how to play. Um, I worked my way very, very slowly up the seating until I was first chair. And then I kept that chair for three years through junior high. Um, but one time <laughs> in ninth grade, so in ninth grade was still the last year of junior high where I grew up. And, you know, for some reason, uh, flautists have this thing that first them being the first chair makes them the first chair of the entire band, which I now can see isn't true. But I was there. I was feeling pretty successful at that point. But, um, you know, with advanced band being first chair. But I had some bad behavior in the class. Uh, I was misbehaving and not paying attention. And the teacher uh, chose to make me an example and he sent me back to the bottom. <laughs> so I lost my first chair and I was forced to work my way back up to the top, which meant I also had to, you had to challenge the person ahead of you and uh, play against them in front of the whole band each time and, and gradually work your way back up to the top. And I had to play against my best friend, which was hard. But um, I, that was one moment where I was glad for the persistence, persistence in teaching myself persistence and continuing, continuing to try. I didn't get lessons until I was, um, a sophomore or junior in high school. I joined the wind ensemble there. It was very rare for a sophomore to be accepted, especially a flute player because we come a dime a dozen. And I was really proud that I made that wind ensemble. It took me, um, three years to make first chair there though, as a senior. And I was so proud of myself, but another time where, I had failure there as every time I went to, well, one example is every time I went to all the district and then regional and state competitions, I did fairly well, but the state competitions, man, I blew it. I blew it every time. I just let my worries get the best of me and I didn't do well. Um, one time I was completely humiliated by my conductor in front of the whole class. He chose that time to be the time where he allowed uh, the, a sophomore flautist to take first chair when we both played something and he thought she did it better when I thought she did it technically better, but not m musically. Um, so I was once again put to the bottom and had to work myself to the top, but the way he did it was in front of the whole class. It was really humiliating to me. And for a few weeks, I could barely pick up my flute. I mean, this is something I practiced an hour to two hours a day um, and I just could barely play my flute. I lost all my confidence. But um, after that failure, I, you know, my parents talked to me a lot. My flute teacher talked to me a lot. And I ended up taking that conductor aside. And I told him off for humiliating me in front of everybody. And I worked my way back up to the top. But um, at the end of the year, he gave me an award uh, and told 
everyone that he was grateful that I had kept him on his toes that year. And I definitely did. So here's the thing about flute, though. It kind of has a sad ending. <laughs> when I got to college, BYU, it's really competitive, obviously. I mean, there's 30,000 undergraduates alone. So many high caliber programs. I mean, these people come from all over the world. I didn't try out for the advanced band until I got there. I don't know why. Um, but when I did, I didn't make it. So I just didn't try again. I just stopped. That was something I had worked on so, so, so long and so hard. And when I didn't make the advanced band, I just stopped. And that was kind of the beginning of me quitting things out of fear of failure, fear of not being perfect enough. You know, I became really deflated after that. I mean, I didn't become depressed. I just kind of moved on to other things. But now looking back, I can see that that started a path of resigning to not even try things because it hurt too much to be let down. That year, I also didn't make, um, well, the spring before starting college, I didn't make the musical productions group or any of the dance groups either, which were other things I, I had worked my whole life on and I was really passionate about. But I, But instead of trying again in the way that I used to, I didn't. I just quit. And my own lack of self-confidence and maturity got in the way. I didn't have the courage to see failure as a stepping stone to success. And um, I gave up huge parts of my life. And I do regret that now. I regret giving up on all those so easily. It's not that I regret the failure. I regret not trying again. This reminded me of a quote by Robert F. Kennedy. He said, quote, only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly, unquote. So because for so many years I dared to fail greatly, I also didn't achieve greatly. So many of you know my story. I went uh, from being a very high overachiever perfectionist, and then I went for, to being a very underachieving perfectionist. And all of this comes from fear of failure, fear of failing greatly. And because of that, I didn't achieve greatly. So an example of, of uh, not making the cut lately for me has been this podcast, also my blog and Instagram. Um, while my interviews have been better than ever, I believe, both in who is on the show and what they are saying, but also in how I am, I feel like I'm doing a better job improving in how I am interviewing people. So I've been really, really especially proud of my interviews lately. Some that I think are, would really change so many people's lives if they listened. I didn't make the cut though. My numbers have taken a huge dive the last month and it's been really um, disappointing for me. And it, and it made me really question what I was doing and why. I, when I started this podcast and the blog too and Instagram, I, I was never in it for the numbers or the money, but it still felt like a rejection. My cousin um, wrote to me recently. She talked about something she learned about how we can start something based on intrinsic motivations, but when they move to external motivations, that's when we lose our motivation and our steam and we categorize things as failures and we stop. And I believe that's kind of what happened to me this past month, although I started with intrinsic motivations, ones that were not about the numbers or the money or the, or the success, I, I think seeing that dive and feeling that disappointment um, was me actually showing myself that my motivations 
had shifted to extrinsic motivations. So in general, it just, it took the wind out of my cells. I, um, I did post about it on Instagram this past week about how I just have lost my steam in many, many ways. Um, and it wasn't just like the lower numbers, you know, some people that, uh, said they were going to be on the show. I've just had a hard time (laughs) getting them committed to actually recording, you know, things like that. Um, it's, it is, like I've said, it's difficult for me to reach out to people. Some people have asked me after I posted on Instagram, you know, is this, is this too hard for you? Is it too hard to hear like some really tough stories? And it's not that actually, like that's the easiest part for me. The easiest part is to talk to people and to hear from them because I know this podcast isn't about me. It's about these people. Um, but the, the ways I read it to be about me is when I don't get answers back or when I get commitment, but then not a follow through or when the numbers aren't reflecting what I think the interviews deserve. So because of that post, a lot of people gave me some needed encouragement and they helped me think about my motivations. So some friends wisely told me about, you know, there, there are times where we need to take a break, where we need to step back and recalibrate. And sometimes we have to go down a different path. Sometimes we are being called to focus on other things. And I was confused because I wasn't sure if that's what was happening to me. If this, if this lack of steam I was experiencing was because I was uh, not supposed to be doing this anymore, that maybe I was supposed to be simplifying my life and uh, not continuing on with the blog or the podcast or Instagram. Um, and I do think that that, you know, that could be right in the long, in the long run. Um, but I had that moment to step back and recalibrate and think about it. Um, but other people also shared stories about things they almost quit, but they were persistent and kept going and how that eventually led to success. So I've had a chance to think about, um, this, the failures that I've had this past month, the times where I haven't made the cut, have given me the opportunity to think about why I'm in this in the first place and what really matters to me and what my true motivations should be and are. So I've decided to ignore the numbers and the growth, but I've also decided to minimize. And that for me, that means I'm letting go of writing on my blog much right now. I'm also letting go of how much I stink at Instagram. <laughs> Instagram is the way I get people to listen to the show. It's my number one way to to gather people in the fold, I guess, to spread the word. And I stink at it. I'm not really great at playing the Instagram game. I'm just not willing to devote the time to it that it requires. But for a while, I mean, that has made me feel like more of a failure. And and it does, I guess, but in the business sense. But for me, I'm redefining what success looks even with that. And recognizing that for me, it's more worthwhile to have an organic, committed, committed growth than having one that entails a lot of time away from my family, my responsibilities. So I'm, I've shifted now how I'm going to be looking at success with what I'm doing. And I'm still trying. My failures this last month have reminded me what really matters and that this podcast, it matters more to me than all the other um, things I've been doing. That I really believe in what I'm doing here and that I believe in the people who... Um, I have found and who you have helped me find and what they've said and shared and that I do believe it can help people even if the numbers are few and that's not what should matter to me. It should matter that it, it matters to people. 
So that's kind of just an example of the last month for me. Just some, that's why this, this whole topic has been on my mind. This is uh, how we define failure and success, how we look at it and how it can actually be a springboard to a lot of good. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've mentioned, I believe wholeheartedly in a time and a season when sometimes, uh, make, not making the cut, some failure shows us that maybe we need to, uh, do another path for now. So for me, that's why I didn't go to graduate school and get my PhD when I had that dream. I went to a plan B of being an English teacher. Although having a PhD was my dream, it didn't feel like the right timing for me and my family. Maybe the world would categorize that as a failure. But for me, I look back on that. You know, I do feel like, I wonder what would have happened if I'd done that. But I don't look at that as a failure. I look at that as me doing what was right for me and my family that time in the season. I mean, I didn't have kids yet or anything, but... For me, I was planning ahead about what I wanted in the long run. So, you know, maybe that's what you need to think about too. What is your season now? What is it the right thing for your season of life right now? So I want to end um, this whole uh, discussion with a quote from one of my favorites, Winston Churchill, who he knew so much about failure. He was rejected by his own political party for 10 years before he became prime minister I had big fights with his political party, so, and a lot of other life failures, political and career failures too. So this is what he says, quote, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts, unquote. And I like what he said there because he's right. Success even is not final. Success is often so fleeting uh, just as fleeting as failure. So I love that. He says the courage to continue is what really counts. So I want to know from you, what courage have you had to continue and what really counts for you? Even if that means shifting directions, what have you learned from failure? Are you like I was and held hostage by the fear of failure for years? Um, did you allow it to drop dreams when you shouldn't have, or did you, did it help you move forward, to reevaluate, to reprioritize, to push harder, to humble yourself, to improve yourself. I'd love to hear more about that. So I, I want to highlight you on my Instagram and um, on other episodes as well. So if you have been there, tell me about it. I want to um, have you email me at packerprogress at gmail.com. You can also direct message me about it on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress. Now, before you think this is over, we're not quite done yet. I'd actually like to share a short interview I did with Stephanie from Eat Happy Nutrition. You can find her on Instagram. I used to share a weekly highlight about do something from my uh, campaign, do something that scares you. But I decided I actually would like to try doing some longer, but still short highlights on my monthly special episodes instead and actually interview the person about it. Stephanie's sister, emailed me about her and just told me about the incredible things that she's been doing and how she's taking uh, fear of failure and using it to push her to try something anyway and where that's been leading her. Okay, so I'm here with Stephanie. So Stephanie, you are going to tell me about what you have been doing that has pushed you out of your comfort zones and been kind of scary, but what the um, benefits have been from that or the effects, even if they're hilarious or maybe disappointing or triumphant, <laughs> like I want to hear about it. Okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, this is actually something I'm really passionate about. I um, really have come to believe that I think there's something, 
I guess, deep inside all of us as human beings that we want to be pushed. And I think in order to progress and grow, and honestly, I think it's kind of essential for happiness. I found for my own self that when I am pursuing something, I am happier. (laughs) And in times of my life when I'm kind of just, you know, chilling out and letting things happen to me, I get more depressed, more anxious. So I feel like when I'm pursuing something and kind of pushing myself to grow, I'm happier. And and I didn't really figure that out. So when I turned 30, um, I'm 33 now, but when I turned 30, well, I'm looking back, I feel like I've done more in the last three years than I did in the previous three decades. So (laughs) it's funny, but I kind of figured that out. Um, I just said I was homeschooling my children um, at the time and uh, teaching piano lessons and doing, you know, church stuff and all this stuff. And I thought, I want to get a master's degree (laughs) in holistic nutrition. And so I just went for it, excuse me, and I did it. And it was hard. It was so much harder than I thought it would be. Um, But honestly, so good for me because I was pushed and I was stretched. And, and then from there, I just, it gave me the confidence to say like, oh, I am capable of way more than I thought. I don't just have to sit home watching TV every night or whatever, you know, just kind of relaxing that I was capable of big things. And so I finished that. I went on to, um, I got, first I got certified as a PIO instructor, which was a huge stretch for me. Um, I had always had body image challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's just a for it's like a group exercise class that's kind of a fusion of Pilates and yoga. Oh, cool. um, super fun. It's really the funnest class ever. So I took it and I thought, and I fell in love with it and I thought, I want to teach this, which is so weird for me because I'm not <laughs> that type. You know, you wouldn't uh-huh. look at me and be like, oh, fitness instructor. Um, but I did it and it was the scariest thing ever, even scarier yeah. than a master's degree because I was in front of people mm. and I thought, well, they're going to be judging me and yeah. <laughs> and maybe they were, um, but I just went for it and that just kept going. And then I, I got certified as an eating psychology coach and now I've started a business, which is really a stretch for me. <laughs> but um, I really think that you know, those outward things are awesome. Like that was really good for me, but honestly, the biggest hard thing, (laughs) and I think this is true for everyone, those, you know, losing a certain amount of weight or completing a, let's say a marathon or kind of those outward things like getting a degree or whatever, those are good and they do challenges. But I think the most growth for me has come from my own inside life (laughs) and kind of pushing myself like, wow, I need to deal with this issue. So for instance, um, like I said, I'm an eating psychology coach. And when I, I, yes, I love it. I'm so passionate about it, but I really kind of, when I was going through this training course, I came up against all of my own Hmm. stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my body image issues and, and food issues. And my mentor, Mark David says, how we, the way we do food is the way we do life. And, and that really hit me that, wow, I have some work to do. Um, because the way I was showing up, I guess, in my own life and my relationships, in the way I was treating myself, um, I was one of those people who just was mean to myself my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even really realize it. But once I did, it was kind of like this realization that, I kind of like I've been carrying around this backpack of rocks my whole life. And, 
And I was able to set that down. And, and it was hard wow. because I was attached to it, you know, yeah. but, but coming up against that and realizing my own inner voice and taking control and being like, no, I have the power here. I'm going to take the power back and change my thoughts and change the way mm. I think about myself. And that's what really changed my life. But honestly, pushing myself to outside goals was what got me to the place where I was able to... I guess face those inner demons of the things I didn't like about myself. Well, yeah, I'm just gonna say it's like what comes first. But this is why I wanted to talk to you because this is the message I'm trying to share. Like you, there's there's such an amazing power of just trying something even when you haven't changed the inner dialogue about yourself or those inner demons. Oh yes, yeah, it's empowering and it and it trickles down. It is to everything and it goes deep. Absolutely. I like how yes, it's kind and of... it's really deeper than you realize. I think. I uh-huh. think all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I could do this, or I could do, I could try that. And honestly, I really think you're exactly right. That you just have to go for it. You don't mm-hmm. have to. You know, so many people think, oh, I'm not ready yet, or I don't have everything in order to be able to do X, Y, and Z. But in my experience, you just jump in. You want to learn how to knit? You just start knitting. Like whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, any goal, big or small. You just try it and, and it's scary and you feel inferior, but facing that fear is what gives you the power to keep going and realizing, wow, I can do way more than I thought I could do. Stephanie, I love this. And I love it because of you saying you kind of did it the reverse way. Like you didn't, I mean, you obviously you've worked on the inner part now, but I like that this is making it right. seem like, you know, you don't have to have years of working on the inner part and like that really hard work in order to reach a goal. And it's the other way around. Cool. Yes. Yeah. And I think even sometimes I feel like we put off that inner work through the vehicle of the outer work, you know, like in Mm. my work with women and weight loss, there's a lot of emotional eating and people think, okay, if I could just lose the weight, then I'll learn how to love myself, (laughs) you know, and, or they're, they're constantly pursuing these outside goals, but I think it's harder to go in and see, okay, how am I holding myself back or how am I stopping myself from being who I want to be? And I think we all do that to some capacity. We look at other people and we think, oh, I wish I was confident. I wish I could Mm -hmm. whatever. And you can, it's just, we hold ourselves back. And I think the inner work is ultimately the challenge of mortality (laughs) is just kind of facing up to how are we stopping ourselves because we have all the potential that we need. It's really just learning how to tap into that and to own it. What do you think it is about turning 30 that inspired that for you? Because I went through a similar process as well. 30, like, you know, (laughs) approaching 30 made me realize how much I had been holding back. So what was it for you? Yes. You know, I feel like I, at that point, I wasn't able to have any more children and I, I had been, Where I grew up, it was, you know, you have kids and you stay home and you do all these things and you're just so involved in family life. And of course, that was important to me. But as I approached 30 and knew that I would no longer be in that baby stage anymore and I could kind of take a breath, excuse me, I could take a breath and and realize, oh, (laughs) I'm not going to be changing diapers forever and waking up in the middle of the night. So what should I do? You know, I had never really thought beyond that. And I had never really found my own identity beyond that. Um, Hmm. 
And so I think really it was just realizing that, yes, my family, my children are everything to me. But I also started to feel this calling that I can also do more on top of that. I can change the world. And, and I started to feel that and like, well, what should I do? And I explored so many different options. Um, I majored in English, so I thought, well, maybe I'll write a book or maybe I'll get a master's in creative writing or maybe I'll do some random thing like art. I mean, I, I went all over the place, but when I found, and, and I think it, it comes back to being in touch with God or the higher power or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think I felt that pulling me in a certain direction. And when the time was right, I just, you know, jumped in (laughs) and I knew that it was the right thing because I was, I was so ready and so prepared, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, mentally to do that. So I think it was kind of everything leading up to that, that the stars aligned and I just went for it. Wow, Stephanie, that is so great. And you're so inspirational. I want to know um, about a little bit about your business and make sure you tell people where they can find you as well. Okay, yes. So um, I am a holistic nutritionist and an eating psychology coach, and I have a business called Eat Happy Nutrition, um, I where I, I, my goal is to help women take the guilt and stress out of nutrition and health. I think Nutrition and health is an area where there's so much guilt and so much stress. And having come through that and realized that, wow, there's this whole other world on the other side. And I want to help people get to the place where I am, where I feel total peace and confidence in who I am. And so I, um, I do one-on-one coaching. I have an online course. So my nutri- or, sorry, my website is eathappynutrition.com. Okay. I'm also on Instagram at eathappynutrition, and that's really where... I post all the time. I love Instagram Mm, (laughs) and on Facebook. um, So I'm on social media, but really my passion is working with women one-on-one. And I've had some incredible experiences just validating, like I am born to do this and and I'm on the right path. And it's so, so rewarding for me. So I love, I love what I do. And starting a business has been such a challenge. And again, another huge growth opportunity. It kind of brings you face to face with like, whoa, what am I doing? Um, But I I love it. So that's my current hard thing that I am working at every single day. So impressive, Stephanie. I'm so glad you take the time. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you again, Stephanie, for chiming in. I really enjoyed getting to know you better. I'm actually going to have her back on the show in a few months for a special podcast I'm planning on food, how to use it, not abuse it. There's kind of a theme there. We did one on technology. Next month, I want to do one on fitness, how to use it, not abuse it. So look forward to those episodes in the the coming months. Um, And just a reminder that um, Stephanie's sister uh, nominated her to uh, be shared here. So you can do that. You can nominate someone for a do something highlight or to be interviewed. You can do that by emailing me at packerprogress.com or direct messaging me on Facebook and Instagram at about progress. So it's time for me to remind you to please share this podcast, subscribe and leave reviews on iTunes. I've heard back from a few of you that you can only leave reviews on iTunes from your desktop. So just a quick reminder there. We have 23 reviews so far, and that might not seem like a lot to some people, but that's a lot to me, and I'm really happy about that, and I I thank each and every one of you who have submitted a review. My goal is to get to 50 reviews by my end uh, year mark, which is November. And additionally, I've talked about a survey that I need people to fill out, 
I have linked uh, that in my show notes for you, which you can find on my website aboutprogress.com. And thank you very much for those of you who have also filled out the survey. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry to keep bringing it up, but 200 people is a big number that I need to have filled out that survey. So let me tell you about next week though. You'll be hearing from someone incredible. Her name is Kara Baldwin. Kara found herself a young, newly divorced single mother of four very, very young children. One was a newborn. She was an achiever her whole life, but she had lost herself in a hard marriage. And this failure of her marriage, her finances, moving back with her parents, it could have defined her. But this mama, she picked herself up. She put herself through law school while raising those four children. She kept her kids and herself happy and healthy. And she, oh my gosh, this just has so much to share with you. Kara gave a really, really good interview and uh, I'll be airing that next Wednesday. So come back next Wednesday to hear from Kara and until then take care of yourself. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.